Psalm 119, 1-8 this morning, not John. We'll get back to John finally next Sunday. Psalm 119, verses 1-8. to Now, Lord, open Your Word to us. Help us to see it. Remove our distractions. Cause us to gain, each one of us, from the oldest to the youngest, cause us to gain what we need this morning from You through these, Your utterances, for our good. For Christ's sake, Amen. Psalm 119 begins, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded Your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping Your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all Your commandments. I will praise You with an upright heart when I learn Your righteous rules. I will keep Your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Psalm 119 exists to lead you into the blessing of knowing and walking with God in His Word. That's why it's here. That's why I've issued this challenge to you to read through Psalm 119 with me during this month of January because it's something that will orient you to Him and His Word. But here's the problem. If you just read through this or really any other psalm hurriedly to get it done, you'll really get nothing out of it. Because it's designed to be taken slowly. To meditate upon its statements. To to think about them and how it is they apply to your life. Which is why I've suggested that you take one section at a time and give it your full attention for 10-15 minutes each day. And you can look in your bulletin, and that's where I've got a schedule if you choose to take up this challenge. But notice how this psalm is laid out. There are 22 sections of 8 verses each, beginning with the first one we're looking at this morning, verses 1 to 8. Each of these sections represents one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, in verses 1 to 8. That's what that funny squiggle is with the word Aleph next to it in the heading. Uh, Bet, uh, verses 9 to 16, Gimel, verses 17 to 24, and so on. Well, that is the Hebrew ABCs, or in this case, ABGs, because Hebrew doesn't have a C. Because Psalm, 6, Psalm 119 is a, an acrostic poem, an acrostic psalm, uh, which means each of these sections begins with that particular letter. So, verse 1 to 8 begins with the Hebrew letter A, Aleph, verse uh, 9 to 16, uh, each, each one of those verses begins with B and so on through the alphabet. And maybe for an exercise, you could try writing an English version of that. If you ever check out Charles Spurgeon, he's done that with Aleph and put A at the beginning of each one just to show you what it would look like. But the point is that there's poetry here. But it's a poetry with a purpose. And its purpose is to help you fall in love with the blessing of God's Word. 
And really, it's a working out of the beginning of the very first psalm. If you go to the very first psalm, Psalm 1, and read the first three verses, it sort of lays this pattern. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't follow after them, but instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119 is given to show you how that works. And again, these lines are to be meditated upon. They're to be thought about deeply and prayed back to God because that's what they're here for. They're here for the good of your soul, uh, to orient you to God. But you can only get to that good if you're willing to actively engage them. Because each point of this psalm lifts up some aspect of God's Word for you to see and think about and dwell upon and, yes, learn to delight in. Another way this psalm seeks to set your attention and affection on God's Word is through the use of eight synonyms, right? Words that mean the same thing. So it continually rotates eight different words, eight different synonyms, eight different titles for God's Word throughout the poem, each one with its own particular shade of meaning to get your attention and to help you understand the multifaceted beauty that is found in God's Word. And so first of all, the word that predominates in this psalm, it is called God's law. Look at verse 1. That's the first place we see it. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Why? Because they walk in the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word is Torah, uh, which means instruction. And though it can specifically mean the first five books of the Old Testament, which are also called Torah, here it, it means more than just those first five books. Here it is God's word as a whole as it teaches and instructs us, telling us who God is and who it requires of us. God's revelation. Second, God's testimonies. Notice verse 2. He says, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies. This is God's Word in the context of His covenant promises to us. Testimonies is a, a legal term, meaning that which bears witness, as in maybe some court proceeding. That which bears witness. This is the legal record of God's promises to us. God has bound Himself to us and us to Him by covenant. We just celebrated that in the Lord's Supper. And here in His Word, we find the written record, both of what He promises to us, which we take delight in, and in what He requires of us as we pursue our walk with Him. Third, God's precepts. Look at verse 4. He says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept Diligently. Precept is a word that reminds you that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to another. And so a precept is a command given by your Lord, which you are obligated to obey for your good. Fourth, statutes. Notice verse 5. He says, Oh, that my Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Or again, verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Statutes, not statues, kids. Uh, that's something different. You know, a, a stone uh, p- 
picture of a person or of an animal of some kind. Um, statutes with a T. But the emphasis for this word lies on that which is permanent and unchanging. So it is kind of like a statue. Something engraved in stone. God's law etched in stone does not change. Uh, Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That's why we can trust it. Uh, that's why we can build our lives upon it. It's not going to change from one situation to another. It's, it's not going to shift with time and morph and fold. What was true yesterday will be true today, tomorrow, and forever. We can trust it. Fifth word is commandments. Look at verse 6. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. This is a word that emphasizes God's sovereign right to rule, His right to give commands. He is the commander. He commands us. He does not offer suggestions to us that we are free to keep or to toss aside. He commands us, and what He commands us is always for our good. Verse 172 says, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Right in the way of truth, right in the way of goodness, right for us. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 8 read earlier says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. God's ways are always best. Therefore, it is to our good that we obey them. Sixth, the word rules or rulings. Judgments is another translation. Look at verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules or rulings. Because this is a word that refers to rulings handed down by an all-wise judge. When the Supreme Court of the land issues a ruling that settles it, humanly speaking. There, there's no one else to appeal to beyond that. That settles the issue. And yet, we understand the Supreme Court can and often does get things wrong. God never gets anything wrong. Every judgment that He makes, every commandment that He gives is right and righteous. And for the good of our lives, His every word becomes the standard by which we must live and will indeed wish to live if we are wise. The seventh word is in fact word, debar. You see it down in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. This is the most general term for Scripture as a whole, embracing everything that God has said. Every promise, every warning, every word of instruction and command, all given to us for our good. As Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true and thus must be taken to heart. Then the last word you'll find throughout this psalm is the word promise, uh, imrah, which is also sometimes simply translated as word, but word of a special kind. This is a word of promise, as when you give someone your word. You find it in places like verse 11. I've stored up your word of promise in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. It's, it's the promises of God that, that, that give us uh, an, 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 a, a power to walk away from sin. Uh, verse 103, How sweet are your words of promise to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And you can see how, how each one of these words for God's Word carries its own particular beauty and instruction and, and how it would indeed be beneficial to you to take time and consider how each of these words is used and what it means to bring what it gives into your life. To engage God's Word as the very words of God given for your good, given to bless you and benefit you by instructing and warning you and leading you along the path of life that God gives to those who walk with Him. And so that's what I want us to consciously think about a little more this morning as we begin this new year together. And so with the time that we have left... I want to consider this opening section to Psalm 119 and, and, and see what we can find here uh, as it displays this beauty of God's Word to us. The first thing that we see in this section is that the blessing he's talking about, the blessing comes when my heart's desire is to walk with God according to His Word. That's the first three verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. Now these first three verses not only introduce this section, Aleph, to us, but they're really the introduction to the entire psalm. Uh, these verses set the pace. They, they tell us what's at stake as we engage with God's Word. And what's at stake is the blessing. God longs to bless His people with His presence and give them the grace they need for every need. And the means He uses to do that, a main means, is attention to His Word. Do you remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. He says, Abraham, you go where I tell you. And as you do that, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you I'll curse. And in you, that is through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, walk with me and I'm going to be a blessing to you and going to cause you to be a blessing to others. The blessing he has in mind here, the blessing of God is his presence with us for our good. It's him taking hold of us and putting us in a position to be able to receive from him all the good that he longs to give us and push through us as we walk with him. You understand that's... that's, That's the purpose of His Word, to instruct us in what it means to be in fellowship with God and to walk with Him by grace through faith. Do you realize this is why God saved you? He didn't just save you to keep you out of hell, as wonderful as that part of it is. He saved you to bring you to Himself so that you could know Him and walk with Him and learn to delight in Him. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <clears throat> if it's anything else, taste has to do with experience, to experience. 
experience the goodness of the Lord, not just to observe it from a distance. If I hold up a jar of honey and I say, this is really sweet stuff, my description communicates to you, but you don't know how sweet it is until you get some on your tongue. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him, who draws near to Him. God gives you His Word that you might know Him and walk in the blessing of His presence. By the way, there's a good New Year's resolution if you're looking for one. To walk in His presence this year. So notice how he says that here in verses 1 and 2. Who are those who will know the blessing of the Lord in this coming year? First of all, he says it's those whose way is blameless because they walk in the law of the Lord. That's verse 1. A blameless here does not mean sinless. Literally, what this... Now, if you were sinless, yeah, you'd be blessed, but you know that's not going to happen. Literally, what this says is they are blameless of way. Their feet are set on the right path. They're going hard after God. They've got His law in their heart. They've lifted their eyes to Jesus by faith and are seeking to follow Him with all they've got. So he's talking about those who are genuine believers in Christ, trusting Him by grace and faith, having experienced the new birth. They are now with the law in their hearts pursuing life with God. Paul speaks of this blessedness in Romans 4, 7 and 8. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Through faith in Christ, our feet are placed on the path of righteousness. We belong for Him. We belong to Him. Therefore, we will begin to live for Him. So here the blessed ones are walking in the way which God has given him. They not only, only believe his word, they are now seeking to live his word. That They're taking it to heart and they're putting it into practice so that, second, those who are blessed are those who are seeking God by keeping his testimonies. That's verse 2. Who's blessed? Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. This word keep, keep his testimonies, means to guard, to take hold of something. They've, they've, they've got hold of God's testimonies like a hungry dog has hold of a bone. Only here it's not a dry old bone, it's the weighty, meaty testimonies of God, his faithful witness to himself and his promises that we've gotten hold of. This person says, I'm going to take hold of God this year. I'm going to keep hold of God through His Word until I see all of these promises coming to fruition in my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to devour it. I'm going to feed upon His Word until it begins to shape the whole of my life because this is where God promises to meet with me. This is how God will change me and use me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do it, He says, with my whole heart. Notice that. There's nothing half-hearted about this. Is that you, dear one? Are you seeking to know and walk with God with your whole heart? When I meditate through a psalm like this, this is the kind of question I ask myself. I'll read a statement like that. Um, Those who seek Him with their whole heart, and I'll ask, Scott, is that you? Is this what you're like? Does that describe your life? 
Are you seeking God with your whole heart? Are you keeping hold of His testimonies like this? Are you, are you loving them and pouring over them and feeding on them until they get deep in your soul? And Scott, if not, why not? Because that is the path to blessing. And oh, you want this blessing. Notice it's also, this is part of the blessing, it's also the path to a truly righteous life. Notice verse 3. Now verse 3, understand, is the result that flows from verse 1 and 2. Don't read it like a legalist. Read it in its context. Um, Those who walk in the law of the Lord, those who seek Him with their whole heart, they're the ones who will do no wrong because they're walking in His ways. See the connection? Here's the principle then. When you are walking with Jesus, when you are pursuing Him with your whole heart, He will never lead you into wrong. As your eyes are on Jesus and you're following His footsteps, He will not take you into sin. And so the more you walk with Him, the less wrong you'll stumble into, the less damage you'll do to others around you, uh, and to yourself, of course. That's why John in 1 John says, Brothers, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the goal again is to walk with Him, is to know Him. It's not just to avoid sin, but to keep our eyes on Him, to keep in step with Him, as Paul says in Galatians. And the way to keep in step with Him is by keeping your eyes fixed on His Word. And so the blessing promised here comes to those whose eyes are on Him as they continually walk with Him according to His Word. Second, this longing for Him we're talking about, this longing for Him fills my heart then with a desire to pursue Him diligently in His Word. Look at verses 4-6. to Notice there's a change of voice here. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Notice here we have a statement, verse 4. Then a prayer, verse 5. Followed by a result, in verse 6. First of all, the statement, verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And again, notice a shift has taken place here. Verse 1 to 3 is just a general statement of principle. Blessed are those people over there who are doing such and such. But beginning in verse 4, it's a prayer addressed directly to God. You have commanded your precepts. And if you read through Psalm 119, you'll notice that from here on, it pretty much remains a prayer, except for one or two verses the writer, and that is now you, also the reader, is speaking directly to God, seeking something from God, asking of God. So he begins here with a confession of the truth of God that he himself needs to hear. God, your commandments were given to be obeyed. Now, do you understand that, Christian? Do you see that every word of God has been given to you as something He expects you to obey. These are not just suggestions for you to consider as one among others. The commands of your Lord 
have authority over your life. They are to be believed and obeyed as His word for your good. If not, you are in sin. Notice again, this word precepts, a word that indicates commands given by a superior that must be obeyed by those under His authority. Remember again, if you're a Christian, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your whole life now belongs to Him. Now, to the arrogant, lost world out there, this self-obsessed world, that sounds terrible that I'm not my own. Because we live in a world that we demand to be in charge of our own lives, to be in charge of our own morality, to live by our own rules, to make it up as we go along. And this we call freedom and blessing. And yet you and I understand from Scripture that is the worst kind of curse. Take some time this afternoon to look at Romans 1 where he says God gave them up to their passions to do whatever they want to do and it's what's destroying them. The Christian understands this. And so he prays in verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Lord, I want to keep them diligently. I want my life to be shaped by every word that comes out of your mouth because I see that that is the path of blessing. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it only leads to death. Proverbs 12, 38 reminds us, In the path of righteousness, there is life. The Christian knows that God's commands aren't for crushing, limiting, uh, oppressing. God's commands are for freeing, leading, drawing us to that which is good in His blessedness. And so the Christian longs for this, which brings us to verse 5, which is the prayer. Hear it again. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Do you ever pray anything like that? You look and you see the blessing that God has promised for faithfulness in His Word, and then you look at your own life and you you see your own unfaithfulness in so many ways. And you just cry out, Oh God, make me like this man I see here in Your Word. See, that's what this psalm provokes in me when I meditate my way through it. It puts this prayer into my mouth. It puts this longing into my heart. And I say to the Lord, this is what I want. Oh, that my ways were steadfast like this in keeping Your statutes. So Lord, give me this heart. Don't just read about it. Give it to me. Do this work in me. Uh, Provide what I am lacking. So I will walk with You like this. And again, notice the word is statutes that I wish to keep. That is the unchanging Word, the unchanging nature of God's Word. It will, not, it will not change to suit me or my culture. Oh, you have to understand that. Therefore, to walk with Him, I do not demand that He change to suit me. I must be changed to fit Him and to resist the prevailing sins of my culture. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans 12.2 when he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Stop being shaped by it like you're a bunch of Play-Doh in your mind. But instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I need a new mind. Where do I get it? From God's Word. I need a new heart that's being shaped. Where does that come from? That's fueled by His Word. Because, understand, none of this we're talking about is going to happen through legalism. Me just trying harder to keep more rules. This, what we're talking about, requires a heart change. Right? Don't forget, back in verse 2, they seek Him with their whole heart. And so we're talking about a change of affections that leads to a change of direction, a change of heart, a change of life that is energized by new motivations and passions for God like we sing about. You can't just will that into existence. I'm just going to do better. Yeah, try that. Report back to me in two weeks. I know where that one ends. That's why we pray. Oh God, give me this. Work this in me that my ways may be steadfast and immovably attached to You, that I may remain committed to knowing and walking with You in righteousness. This psalm is filled with prayers like that. Like Psalm 119, 133, O God, keep, <coughs> keep steady my steps according to Your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Boy, that's one just to meditate on. Lord, I don't want any iniquity to get dominion over me. I don't want to become a slave to the sins that I commit. And Jesus told me if I commit sin, I become a slave to it. I need to be free. How can I be free? By Your Word working that freedom down into my soul. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Will you make that your prayer in this coming year? See, don't wait for a feeling. Don't try to just drum up some new desire on your own. Go to Him and ask Him to give this to you. Let Him work these desires in your heart through His Word. We're far too passive. We're waiting on just a zap to happen. And it doesn't just zap. I mean, God can do that if He wants, but rarely does He because He prefers to use His Word. Then, verse 6 says, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So this is the result that flows from the prayer. Oh God, give this to me. Give me this steadfast heart of diligence. And when I get it, what's going to happen? I will not fall into shame and sin because my eyes are fixed on your commandments. Think about that. Be honest. When do you fall into sin? When do you tend to fall into sin? I would say you tend to fall into sin when you've got your eyes on something other than the goodness and faithfulness and promises of God. Oh, Satan comes around and he says to you like he did to Eve, Hey, look at this thing over here. Look at this. God's not letting you have that, but boy, it's good. Look at this experience. Look at this that others are enjoying. You can have it. Come on with me. And I'll give it to you. When my mind is is idle and my heart is restless looking for some distraction, it becomes very easy for Satan to lead me into sin. When my heart is taken up with the beauty of God and my mind is fixed on His truth and I'm, I'm thinking how good He is and how faithful He is and how I want to serve Him for His glory, then my heart gains resistance to Satan's schemes. Right? Fixing my gaze on Christ through His Word 
thinking about it, meditating on it, praying it, fixing my gaze on Christ through His Word builds resistance to Satan's schemes to bring me down to shame. So I don't know about you, some of you who are like me getting older, but the older I get, the more I pray, oh God, please don't let me mess this up. See, I know my sin. When I was younger, I didn't really know my sin the way I do now. I know my weakness. I feel it every day. I know that I could fall and bring shame on myself and shame on my Lord and shame on you, this congregation that I love. So how do I keep myself from sin? By keeping my eyes fixed on Christ in His Word with my feet pointed in the direction He leads. Isn't that what He says to young men just on the next verse? that we're not looking at this morning, but I'm going to look at it now. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By guarding it according to your word. Okay, I'm no young man anymore, but I think it still applies. So yeah, I'm concerned about the sins of the world out there, sure. But I'm more concerned with the sins that infest my own mind and heart and bring me down. Because those are the ones that are going to bring me to shame if I don't fight. Here's the good news. When I do fight by the grace given me, when I do fight, I've got His promise of ultimate victory. Which brings me to the third thing in this psalm. And that is, notice the praise that I'm going to give Him as He keeps His Word and brings His victory into my life. Verses 7 and 8, round us out. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Don't utterly forsake me. Notice first a note of joyful praise and then another note of prayerful determination. We need both. Eyes on Him, praise for what He's going to do, determination to prayerfully walk in what He's promised. So first of all, the anticipation of a joy-filled praise that's coming. He says, Lord, I'm going to praise You. When? When Your Word does its work in me. Do you see how, how this anticipates God's faithfulness? Lord, despite my weakness, despite my all-too-often unfaithfulness, this is what I know for sure as Your Word does its work in my life. It's going to give me an upright heart. It's going to take all that is bent and twisted in me through sin and straighten it out through sanctification. It's going to enable me to walk with you. I can't do it on my own, but the Word's going to provide the fuel that I need. The Holy Spirit's going to give the strength to my arms and legs. And when that happens, God, I am going to praise you. I'm going to praise you now for what you're doing. I'm going to praise you forever for what you've done because here's what I know. You are doing this. Church, that is our confident joy and our absolute dependence upon Him. I'm going to have an upright heart. You're going to have an upright heart as we walk with Him. We're going to see this victory over sin and shame as He progressively brings it into our lives. And it's going to happen because God is working in us through His Word. Isn't that true? See, whatever goodness you see at work in you, you should know that it didn't come from you. 
came from Him. But how did it get from Him to you? It got there by the channel of His Word. That word that you've hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God, that word that you've been putting into practice day by day imperfectly, but you're determined to do so, that word that you've been believing and relying upon, uh, thinking about, meditating on, memorizing, that word stored, God uses that word. I mean, do you remember what Jesus said uh, back in John 17, just a few weeks ago, when we were looking at it? Jesus praying for us says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. We wish maybe He would have, right? Lord, evacuate them. Get them out of this mess. No, He says, I don't ask you to take my disciples out of this world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They're not of this world. They don't belong here, just as I'm not of this world. So what do I want you to do for them? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As long as we are in this world, we've got an enemy and we've got a fight on our hands because we're living on enemy territory. And the power to fight that fight leading to the victory He has promised over the enemy comes through the indwelling Word of God which He uses by means of the Holy Spirit to shape our minds, sanctify our lives until we become more and more like Christ the victor. That's what he's doing. Which is why this psalm ends as it does with verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. (laughs) Now do you hear his sense of determination there? I will keep your statutes. That's what I'm determined to do, Lord. I've seen how beneficial they are. I, I want this in my life. I'm praying for it. I will do this. If you're looking again for a New Year's resolution, I suggest this one. Say to God, I will keep your statutes. I I will do this. I'll walk with you. I'll put your word before me. I'm going to make this happen. But how? Don't forget that last line. Only as God enables you. Only as God is with you. That's why he prays. I'm going to do it, Lord. Yes, let's do this. Only, Lord, please promise that you won't forsake me. (laughs) Please don't leave me on my own. Now, understand, he's not afraid God really will leave him. He knows God's covenant promises never to forsake him. But but he also knows that if God did leave, he, he would be lost. There would be no way to walk in all that God has promised. And so this is his way of saying, Lord, it's only by your power. Lord, it's it's by your help alone that I can walk with you. And so Lord, this is my determination. But you got a promise to help. <laughs> I want to do this, but it's only as you enable me. Lord, stay close by my side. God, keep your word ever before my eyes. Let me meditate on its truth and understand it and see it and be changed and shaped by it so that I am learning to walk by your side day in and day out. And when I stray, I'm called to repent and come right back. And I don't get far away from You. And You've promised not to get far away from me. Lord, let the whole of this coming year be found at Your side. Oh, dear one, will you make that your determination this morning? Will you take positive steps? Don't just assume, okay, yeah, I want to do that. How are you going to obey God in seeing it done? 
I've suggested this little exercise as a beginning point. Some of you already have a really well-formed devotional uh, life in the morning, right? You're already spending, you know, more time with God in the morning than I am. Yeah, put this aside. Maybe it'll use you, you can use it later. This little, this little devotional exercise. Maybe you, maybe it's not. Maybe you don't need it. Others of you, you really could use some place to begin. You really could use something very simple, even short. Setting your mind and heart up on the Lord. That, that's who this is for. And so, thinking before the Lord, how will I engage God in His Word for the good and the benefit of the blessing He has promised to give those who belong? And not just looking for a blessing. Right? We're, not a, we're not that kind of church. But for the blessing, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ walking with you and you with Him according to the promise of His Word day in and day out that you might grow in that grace. Father, looking at men and women and children that I love and I know they're going to have a battle on their hands this coming year. Some things will go well and that's Your grace. Other things will not. There will be heartache. There will be temptations. There will be falls into sin. Lord, Oh God, if we could even see it, we might burst into weeping right now. There's going to be enemy attacks. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be tears. We are going to be tried. And the stabilizing reality that grips our lives and gives us hope is that Christ is near. Christ feeds us through His Word. Christ keeps His promises. And so Lord, would You help us go from here first trusting You according to Your promise to be our Lord and Savior. And second, determine that we'll make the changes necessary with your help to walk more closely with you this year than we did last year. To delight more wholeheartedly in your truth this year than we did last year. To be shaped and formed by your truth more than we were last year. That you may receive the glory. And this time next year we can say, praise you Lord for what you've done. It is in your name we pray. Amen.